Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Both of us are operating with our fancy new sound equipment this week, so that's pretty exciting. Hopefully you can tell a difference in the audio quality. Yeah, we definitely um, have been experimenting over the weeks about different platforms to use and different recording equipment. And I think we're, we're on Zoom today, which is kind of cool because we could talk face to face. And then we're both using new mics. So hopefully listeners notice and let us know what you think. I know I thought about breaking this out for the board meeting yesterday. I know I feel really fancy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> big old headphones, but it is really, it's really nice to have a little bit clearer quality. And um, we do record some of our stuff on the phone still, depending on who we're talking with. But I think going forward, it'll just be a little bit easier to listen to. Yeah, I think at least having half of, you know, like a nice quality microphone balances out maybe a little bit tougher of a connection over the phone or something like that. Agreed. Totally. So we're coming off a, a busy week, Darby. Yesterday we had a board meeting, um, which are bi-monthly now. It was completely social distanced over Zoom, which is kind of fun. It, it was probably one of the fastest board meetings we've had, um, but also really action-packed for sure. It was. I think our first phone board meeting at the very beginning of all of this was a little shorter, but it wasn't, we were still, I think, trying to figure out how to have, how to have a board meeting over Zoom or the phone. Um, so this was our first like really condensed, but also, yeah, really full of important information board meeting. And it was nice because I feel like as board members and everybody gets a little more comfortable in the world of Zoom and conference calls, people are kind of more willing to speak up and kind of navigate the technology a little bit better. So I thought it was really productive. Definitely. And, and a good, I think, good practice, because we're probably going to be having a few more of these until we, hopefully by the time we move into the new year, we'll be able to see each other. I'm missing the human interaction part of things. I agree. Fingers crossed. Yes. So we can't, we can't get through the opening derby without our weekly weather update either. Of course not. It's my favorite part of the week. <laughs> It is um, hot here, and <laughs> that's about all I have to say. It's actually not horrible. We had a really hot weekend last weekend, but we've been we've been dropping decently temperature-wise into the nights, which is good for our girls. And we have a very weird, I run in the mornings when it's cool, so we have this very strange little spike of humidity right before it gets hot, so I get to experience that every single day. But otherwise, it kind of, you know, has stayed pretty consistent, and it's looking like we're going to stay consistent here for the next couple weeks. That's good. I think the key is probably consistency with the cattle and everybody down there, you know, running fans, and hopefully they can get a little break in the evenings with their electric bills, but... Here we had a, a pretty nice week, and then the last two days it's been a little, little more dreary. But that coastal air conditioning, like we say, is what keeps the cows happy and keeps the grass green this time of year. So we had a lot of folks that didn't have to start irrigating until July, which is a huge deal here. Um, and the, a lot of good hay on the ground with the heat we had this week. So That's what else good. are we going to talk about? I know, <laughs> like, what else can we talk about at this point? I saw not going anywhere. Um, yeah, I saw Foggy Bottom Boys packing up some hay on Instagram, so looks like things are rolling right along up there. I know, it's de it's definitely a good week for the haymaking, and, and especially good that it was warm at the beginning of the week, and that fog has rolled in a little as people are starting to pick up the bales. The 3,000 bales gets a little 
tiring. <laughs> exactly. Well, we have an exciting episode this week. Um, I'm really excited about all of our segments, but I'm especially excited for our listeners to get to hear from Tony Raimondo. So we're going to start off with Annie and her market update. Then we're going to talk to Tony Raimondo. Melissa and I both got to join him, and that was a really informative interview. And then Rochelle is going to give us a Lecheros update to wrap things up. Yeah, I was, um, I'm always blown away by talking with Tony. I've been on the phone with him and different folks in his office multiple times over the past few weeks, um, as I think both of us have and a lot of our members have. And they just have such a wealth of knowledge and they're so willing to share it and help our members. And a lot of times at no cost to members because we have such a great partnership with them. They're, they're doing a lot for our members. Um, you know, free of charge or at a discounted rate. So we really thank them for that. And just, it's just so refreshing to have good answers to the myriad of questions that are coming up. <laughs> All right. And with that, let's jump right into our market update with Annie. Well, Another week and things are moving around again. California is taking a step back in the reopening process. But that aside, dairy commodities are now taking a step back. And in particular, cheese set a new record this week. So we had a new record high for the block price at $3 per pound on Monday. It is a little bit crazy to think that just a couple months ago, we were approaching the dollar mark and here we are at $3. Now, since then, CME blocks have retreated a little bit, uh, down to $2.70. But, you know, I think nobody's going to complain at um, that price level. And the good thing is USDA prices are really still chasing those CME highs. And they got a little bit closer this week. We gained $0.04 cents on the USDA price that goes into the uh, FMMO pricing formula. And we're standing at $2.63 per pound for blocks. And uh, barrels also gained $0.03 cents to $2.42 per pound. If we look at USDA data, they actually pointed to a nice rebound in American cheese domestic consumption in May with a gain of 3% year over year. And that was really welcome because April consumption was down 10% year over year. And so a little bit of a uh, return to you know consumption through restaurants likely to have been reopening um, is really helpful. Now, we've talked about these really high cheese prices might not translate to higher prices in the milk check, and USDA finally released the official PPD for the month of June, and it stands at negative $7.91 per hundredweight in LA. And so that means negative $8.41 per hundredweight if you ship your milk to Tulare. And so that's a big, um, big decrease on the milk check if you're looking at your components and that, um, you know, those are dollars that are taken out. So if you have more questions on that, or if you want to chat about, you know, why that's happening in the federal order, we actually set up a webinar for our members next Friday, July 24th. Uh, just send me an email, annie at wdairies.com, or call the office to get the registration so we can talk more about this PPD. Because the second lowest PPD before that was in November, uh, and it was negative $3.39 per hundred weight. So that's a big jump. Looking at other commodities, butter prices managed an increase this week, uh, up just you know over a penny to $1.81 per pound. CME prices continue to slip a little bit down to $1.69, so we might see a little bit of those uh, changes in the next few weeks in USDA prices, but nothing too dramatic. 
Um, you know, after the less than stellar butterfat trade data released last week, it was really encouraging this week to see domestic consumption data was really positive for uh, butter. In fact, uh, butter consumption in the U.S. was up 17% year over year in May. It's not that surprising considering, you know, America rediscovered its love for baking during all the stay-at-home recommendations nationwide. If we look at powder prices, they lost a little bit of value, uh, but they kind of, you know, they're they're doing okay. Still at 96 um, cents a pound, you know, not going down too much, just lost 0.8 cents this week. And the CME spot powder um, is still above a dollar, a dollar one per pound. And what's good is outside our borders, uh, the skimmel powder price average um, tends to be closer to $1.20 a pound. And so there's opportunities down the road for that price to go up. And if we look at dry whey, uh, we gained just dollar, just a dollar would be great. Uh, penny, just over a penny this week to uh, thirty cents per pound. And so, in other news, dairy cattle um, slaughter slowed down a little bit in recent weeks. We had a really big jump following, you know, the COVID crisis when that started, and all the processors were requesting uh, shippers to decrease production. But in the last few weeks, it's been really stable. Um, especially for Region 9, which includes California, Arizona, Nevada, and Hawaii. So obviously California makes the bulk of that. But if we look from May 9th until the end of June, dairy cattle slaughter averaged the exact same number as last year for the same period. And for the U.S. as a whole, dairy cattle slaughter actually averaged 6% below the same period a year ago. And so this concludes the market update for this week. And I look forward to joining the podcast again next week, hopefully with some uh, decent news again in terms of where prices are standing. So uh, thank you, Darby and Melissa, and hope you have a good weekend. Thanks so much, Annie, for another exciting market update. If you would like further information on the PPD Q&A that Annie mentioned during her update, please don't hesitate to reach out to our office, info at wudairies.com. You can also reach out to Darby or I, and of course, Annie, A-N-N-I-E at wudairies.com. Now we'll jump over to a great interview that Darby and I had with Tony today that's a little bit of a preview of another upcoming webinar we'll be hosting next week. All right, we're here today with Anthony Raimondo from Raimondo and Associates. Tony, thanks so much for taking your time to be on the podcast with us today. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. We really appreciate you. I know I'm calling into your office quite a few times a week um, lately. I think you're here to kind of give our members an update on what's going on in this new uh, COVID world. So maybe let's start off with what you think is really important for members to know. Well, the one of the things for, that the members really need to be aware of is how rapidly things are changing, even from day to day. So uh, just yesterday, Cal OSHA came out with um, a new directive uh, for employers, encouraging employers to review and follow the state's COVID-19 workplace self safety and health guidance, which can be found at the Department of Industrial Relations um, website. Uh, if any of the members have difficulty finding that website, they can give you guys a call or they can give me a call and uh, we'd be happy to, to point them in the right direction. But the bullet points of Cal OSHA's guide, new guidance is that um, employers are required to take steps to modify the work site to allow people to be at least six feet apart or attempt to install effective barriers where that's not feasible. Um, providing workers with sufficient time and supplies to disinfect common surfaces 
uh, encouraging uh, workers to wash their hands frequently in accordance with CDC guidelines and provide time and supplies so they can do it properly. Providing um, employees with cloth face coverings uh, or allowing them to use their own and reimbursing them for the cost. Um, I do think you're okay if you provide the you know, disposable surgical masks as long as you have a sufficient supply on hand that employees can get a fresh mask. Um, screening workers for COVID-19 symptoms before they start, start work and having workers uh, stay home if they feel ill and inform them about the sick leave benefits that are available. Now, obviously, there are some wrinkles here for our essential industries like dairy, uh, which we can get into as we go forward, but that's the latest directive. Um, that's the latest directive from, latest directive from Cal OSHA. Okay, Tony, so given the fluidity of the situation, things are changing on the daily. We've been really pushing out a lot of information to members, but um, it, it, is it okay to assume that if you're following guidelines that you thought were in place and something has changed and you don't know about it, that you're, you're probably safe, we should, you know, keep paying attention to the stuff that goes out, or how should members, you know, familiarize themselves with all these rapid changes? Well, we, we are not seeing aggressive um, enforcement, particularly in agriculture, in the sense that um, we aren't seeing health departments and Cal OSHA get overly aggressive on issuing citations for violations. But that may change. Um, you know, as you're seeing, things are kind of ramping up in intensity and anxiety. So there's a number of different things that yeah. you can do. Um, there is a, a California-approved COVID-19 general checklist for agriculture and livestock employers. It's available online, um, and I can get you that link so you can post it on uh, that link on the uh, the members portal of the, the West United website if you would like. Definitely, thank uh, you. And then understanding what the basic guidelines are uh, to follow if you have a positive test, if you have exposed employees. One of the things that is important is that um, dairies are a critical infrastructure employer. So the CDC guidelines provide that um, in critical infrastructure, workers can be permitted to continue to work even following a potential COVID-19 exposure, provided that they remain asymptomatic and that there are additional precautions that are implemented to protect them and others. And those precautions would be, again, the social distancing, and the, the goal there is to avoid uh, 15 minutes of contact within um, six feet. And um, if uh, we want to be able to contract trace anybody who's had that potential exposure, which would be that 15 minutes within six feet of contact within the period of time of 48 hours before they became symptomatic. So, for example, one of the things we're seeing with a lot of our dairy employee, uh, employees is, especially for some of the outside workers or the general laborers, they don't really have off that 15 minutes of, um, of contact within six feet with other folks. So uh, to the extent that spacing is available, it limits the scope of, of who we have to, to notify. They really are encouraging us to pre-screen every employee every shift, which means checking for temperature and symptoms every time they report to work, you know, monitoring employees throughout the day and encouraging employees to self-monitor um, for symptoms. Okay. Um, they are uh, encouraging employers to have employees wear masks. Um, I know that's very difficult in agriculture, especially with the, uh, with the concerns about heat illness. Um, but, uh, so I think for folks who are outside and able to socially distance, it's probably okay not to require masks. Um, and again, the social distancing is an important part of it, and then regular disinfecting and cleaning of workspaces. 
Okay. Um, a lot of our agricultural employers, of course, are already very alert to sanitation. So I think um, these are things that we can largely implement. Yeah, I think you answered one of my kind of most asked questions the last couple of weeks, and that's really been about mask enforcement. And people are just confused or concerned about supplying masks and then, you know, having their employees wear the masks and how responsible are they going to be if, if employees are found without masks, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's been quite a big question in the field. Well, the, the enforcement part of it of how responsible they're going to be if employees don't wear masks, um, I think there, that remains an open question because, again, we haven't seen that aggressive government enforcement through the issuance of citations at this point. Um, I'm recommending to all of my clients, and I would recommend to everybody, that you have either supply cloth masks to workers or um, have an ample supply of the surgical masks on hand. I mean, even in my office, I bought a case of like 250 um, surgical masks for my employees um, here in the office that they can use um, as they need, and we're replenishing that supply. We've located a, uh, a pretty good supplier. Uh, for the masks. So if, if uh, folks are having difficulty getting a hold of masks, I actually found a really good supplier who we have ordered masks from here and were able to get the, uh, the surgical masks in, in large quantities within um, a relatively short period of time. Okay. Uh, so uh, if, they, if people need that help, just reach out to my office and we're happy to share the contact information for the vendor that we've been using um, for the masks. You know, People were very upset when um, the governor declared that there was going to be a presumption of workplace exposure um, to trigger workers' comp in the case of the COVID-19 exposures, which certainly has a downside in terms of the uh, you know, potential increase in people's workers' comp rates. But I think we need to keep in mind that that also has a potential benefit for employers. You know, one of my great fears in the environment that we're in right now is that, unfortunately, we're in an environment where people are eager to blame each other for uh, coronavirus exposures. Well, if employees test positive for coronavirus, they're going to be limited to workers' comp as an, an exclusive remedy. What that means is that we're not going to see dairy employers sued by their employees for exposure to coronavirus. Those employees will be directed, if they, if they want to try to get into litigation, they're going to be stuck with the workers' comp system where everybody is fully covered for whatever liability is there. So while it's not exactly a wonderful thing to have your workers' comp rates go up, at least we're not going to see, uh, I think, predatory attorneys going after employers, um, particularly for businesses that aren't open to the public like dairies. I okay. think there is some risk for customer exposure in some of these uh, public businesses um, where we're going to start seeing, you know, people who get infected trying to sue places saying, oh, I got the virus at Costco, so I'm going to sue Costco for not taking adequate measures to protect me. Um, we're somewhat insulated that in the, from that in the dairy industry because our, our exposure is really going to be tied to our employees, which will be tied back to um, workers' comp. Yeah. One tough thing I noticed, um, I have a lot of my dairies up here on the North Coast provide housing on site for their employees. And one thing that's tough is, you know, a guy might be sick, he doesn't come to work, but their kids play together, the kids may be asymptomatic, or, you know, there's just, there's all these different instances where they're probably getting exposed, you know, maybe on site, but not necessarily at work, I guess. So that's been a, a big question. And your office has been super helpful at 
kind of helping through the intricacies of some of these issues for sure. And that's where the contact tracing part of it is important. And, you know, we, we tend to get nervous because we apply terminology to these things like the term contact tracing. Mm-hmm. But uh, especially on a dairy, we have found that the tracing aspect of this tends to be relatively simple because, you know, the routine of the ranch tends to stay relatively the same. And we can usually follow through fairly easily on who these workers had contact with in the workplace. Right. Right. Good. Well, Tony, another thing we've been really, um, I've had a lot of requests, especially this week, and I know we have pushed out a lot of information early on in the shelter in place, um, or the kind of the rise of the pandemic is the, um, need to post different things. So one of the big things was the Department of Labor's required postings. We've pushed that out to all of our members multiple times. But is there anything else producers should be taking note that they should post around the facility, maybe in the clock-in area or where their other labor posters are um, specifically related to COVID-19? Yeah, most local health departments have put out um, signage relating to wearing masks and um, um, what the symptoms are, and we have them up actually all over my office. I would really encourage folks to put them up. And again, if people have a hard time finding that stuff, they can call us, and we're happy to help um, direct them to where they need to go to find that stuff. Um, that document that I mentioned earlier, the COVID-19 general checklist for agriculture and livestock employers, they've been kind of vague about whether that's mandatory, um, but they do encourage that it be posted. So I think it's a good idea to post it. Okay. The COVID-19 general checklist, and that's on the CDFA website and the Department of Public Health website are two places I've accessed it. I believe so. And if not, I've got a general link where um, um, we can uh, we can get it to them as well. But the, the members can contact you guys or contact us, and we'll be happy to get that to them. Absolutely. And we'll also put it in our the link in our show notes today in case anybody's listening on iTunes or Spotify and you want to just click on the show notes. We'll have that handy. Perfect. I'll email you that link as soon as we're done. Thanks. Um, Tony, another um, issue, and and it really varies by facility and situation, but another issue is there are employees, just like in every industry, that are coming up COVID positive, and your office put out a really helpful guidance document that kind of deals with everything COVID-19 related, but can you speak specifically to maybe the steps that an employer should take when someone comes to them and says, A, I'm I'm suspected to have COVID-19 or I tested positive for COVID-19. So the the first thing that you need to do is make sure you have a lot of communication with the employee and confirm that they meet um, the CDC guidelines for community exposure. Um, You need to review what leave laws they may be eligible for. So for example, we have the uh, both California supplemental paid sick leave as well as the federal emergency paid sick leave. Um, and then make sure that you provide benefit information to the employees, including there are required pamphlets on the LWDA website, um, uh, which uh, I can also give you that link as well. Great. Um, for example, for things like the sick leave, the law is very, very clear, despite some of the information that's being put out by local officials to the contrary, that before you pay any sick leave to anybody, uh, as a, especially as a critical infrastructure employer, you are allowed to require them to provide you with medical verification. And it doesn't mean they have to give you a copy of their positive test, but they do have to give you a doctor's note that says, you know, test for COVID-19, should be off work or self-isolate for COVID-19, 
but some sort of medical documentation um, that they are they, they have been ordered to be off work um, due to either suspected or actual uh, COVID-19 exposure. The next okay. step is sure that you determine which employees have had that close contact. And again, that's six feet, within six feet for 15 minutes, at least two days before symptoms set or the employee's last day if the employee's asymptomatic. Um, and really the further you can contract trace over the last 14 days, um, the better. Okay. And it's critical that um, you immediately alert everyone who's had that close contact uh, with the positive employees and provide them with uh, CDC guidance, including information on the symptoms of COVID-19. If they're at work, send them home immediately and decontaminate their workspaces. Um, do not identify the positive individual by name. You need to protect their confidentiality. So, for example, you can say that someone in our workplace has tested positive for COVID-19 and identified you as a potential close contact. Um, if you are at work, please prepare to leave as quickly as you can. As soon as you get home, uh, please find a place to self-isolate and monitor yourself for symptoms, talk to your doctors, and review uh, CDC information. Uh, we're here to support you and then provide them with a contact person that they can reach out to. Um, so you need to alert um, all other employees also, but again, do not share the names of, of, of the positive individual or those who are in close contact. So one of the things you can say is that, that one of our employees recently tested positive for COVID-19 and is self-isolating. Those who are in contact have been told and asked to leave the workplace and self-isolate. Workplaces have been decontaminated. Uh, if you were not already told you were close contact, you're not one. And if you have questions, you can contact your doctor or visit the CDC website for information. And again, provide them with a contact uh, person if they have any concerns. The critical thing for Darius, as I mentioned earlier, as a, as a, a critical infrastructure employer, um, critical infrastructure workers can be required and permitted to continue to work following a potential exposure as long as they remain asymptomatic and those additional precautions are, are, are um, implemented. So again, making sure that we maintain social distancing, pre-screening them every shift, monitoring them throughout the day, and requiring them to wear a mask. Um, okay, so we don't have to send those employees home to self-isolate if, I mean, because really on a dairy, if they're asymptomatic, you don't have to send them home, but you should certainly mandate that they wear a mask. Great. Okay. Okay. And you should be checking them every shift for, you know, temperature. So everybody should have one of those infrared thermometers where you can check somebody's temperature without touching them. Yep. It's a, yep. It's a really fast way to get an instant temperature on somebody. And we just picked up a couple um, – up here on the North Coast, we're a little isolated from the world, but I ordered a couple for Dairyman online. They were $20 on Amazon, and it came within two days. So, um, I, you know, with things ramping up, it might be a little delayed, but certainly in places where you're a little closer, Fresno, uh, Modesto, places in the Central Valley, where you're a little closer to those Amazon distribution centers, it should be pretty easy to get those. And then they, they just need to make sure that they review the paid sick leave requirements for um, employees that are that are seeking a medical diagnosis or have been told by a medical provider that they have to quarantine or are unable to work. Okay. You, you know, if, if their doctor has told them, we think you might have it, and we're advising you to stay home, they need to get us a doctor's note in order to qualify for that sick leave. Which again, the EEOC and other agencies have confirmed that we are entitled to ask for that information. You know, there's been some folks worried about confidentiality and things like HIPAA. We don't get their medical file, and they don't have to give us all the details, but they do have to give us some sort of record of that, of that medical recommendation. 
Because sadly, even in these difficult times, we do see people that are trying to kind of take advantage of the leave. And uh, as is normally the case for me, we see some crazy scenarios around here. Um, don't give them medical advice or answer their medical questions. Just direct them back to their doctor. And then make sure you follow the guidelines on the length of isolation. Okay, so if they are a symptomatic case, the, gui the CDC guidelines are that we have to wait three days since uh, their recovery, which means resolution of fever without any aspirin or other type of medication, and um, a, a improvement in respiratory conditions, and at least 10 days since the symptoms first appeared. If there's no symptoms, we have to wait at least 10 days since their positive test result. Um, and if they, if they develop symptoms, then you switch to the symptomatic standard. Now, one of the issues we're seeing is that it seems like lately the, 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 time, the time gap for getting these um, test results is getting slower. Um, yeah, I can attest so to that. <laughs> the time period will run from the date of the test. So, like, I had one yesterday where the employee actually was home self-isolating awaiting the test results. And we didn't get the test results until two weeks after the test was taken. Oh, so man. even though it was a positive test result, the employee was able to return to work because it had been two weeks since the date of the test. Okay. So, you know, remember that it is frustrating for the employees as well. I mean, one of the things that has been nice for us in all of this that we've seen in agriculture is actually a lot of our employees, I would say the majority of our employees, get frustrated when they're feeling fine and they want to work. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we, a lot of our cases that we're seeing in, not in just in dairy, but in agriculture as a whole are asymptomatic cases and the employees get frustrated and they get mad and we tell them, no, you have to stay home because you have this medical recommendation to self-isolate because you were exposed and they're eager to come back to work. So it's important to remember to be patient with the employees that uh, they may be getting misinformation or they may be getting uh, a runaround from their medical providers. I've had a few cases where employees were trying to get the, the note from the doctor and the doctor refused to give them a note. Um, we have form letters that we use here to get medical documentation from doctors for a variety of health conditions that we've used for years when doctors aren't cooperative on that stuff. So I would encourage employers to not necessarily get frustrated or angry at your employee right away if they can't give you what you're asking for. We want to try to work with them to solve the problem. And if we're trying to work with them to solve the problem and they really want to solve the problem, that will become very clear. If they're one of those in the mind, and it is a minority, but if they're one of those in the minority that are trying to gain the system, that will become clear as well um, because they won't be willing to take the help we're willing to give them. But don't always assume that the employee is trying to play a game with you, or that the employee is in the wrong. It may well be they're dealing with a difficult doctor's office. Definitely. Another question that's come up quite a bit recently, um, it's the summer, kids are out of school, although they've kind of been out of school for a while, but a lot of families are traveling. In a lot of cases on dairy, families have planned travel to Mexico to visit with their family members. And um, one question I got three times this week was, if a person travels to a different area, maybe an area where there's a hot spot, or if they travel by plane, should they automatically be put on quarantine until a 14-day period has passed or that, you know, the incubation period has passed? Or can we allow them to come to work using those precautions that we've already mentioned, masks and social distancing? 
There's no requirement that we quarantine people who've been traveling at this point. I mean, fortunately, we're not required to presume that just because someone is traveling that they contracted the disease. Good. If they tell you they want time off for the family trip, I think it's a good idea to encourage them to be cautious and wear masks and practice social distancing. And when they return, certainly implement those protocols. Uh, but they can return to work unless they have symptoms or there's some other reason why they, uh, they need to self-isolate. Okay, great. I think so much of it now just comes down to trying to get members to effectively take this information in and, you know, share it to their employees in the way that they should be. And I think that seems kind of daunting for a lot of our members, and I hope that they know that they can reach out to us and we're trying our best to kind of make it as easy as possible. Well, I, I, I want to make sure the members are aware that not only can they reach out to you, but uh, both of the two of you never hesitate to call us when you need help, which we certainly welcome that. Um, I know you've both got my cell phone and my office number, and we want to be here to support the industry through what is a difficult time. And I want to emphasize again that, you know, the employees are not the problem here. The employees are not our enemy here. Everybody is scared. Everybody is anxious and everybody is stressed, including the employees. And what we need to do is work together to get through this. And, you know, I, I've said this to employers for many years in the dairy industry. One of the, the, one of the things we've got going for us in what is a really challenging industry is the fact that, in general, we have a wonderful workforce of really hardworking, honest, dedicated people who, who care about the cows and care about producing a healthy product for the community. So um, don't assume that your workers are, are an issue or don't assume that they're a problem. In fact, if you were going to make any assumption in the dairy industry, I usually start from the standpoint that the employees want to do the right thing. And, of course, there's always exceptions. That's why I exist. Um, but we're here to help. You're here to help. And those resources are out there for them. Absolutely. And just to, to kind of cement that, always call Darby or I, or you're always welcome to call Ramundo and Associates. If you're a Western United member, there are many, many ways that they've helped us over the years and continue to help us. And just mention you're a member, mention that we recommended you call the office and they will connect you with the right people. They're really great about filtering folks to whoever they need to speak with to get advice. And, um, you guys have just been such a blessing to our members over the years, Tony. Thank you so much for everything you've done. You're very welcome. Well, thank you for what you guys do. And my real thanks goes out to the dairy farmers who help to feed our community and, and work so hard to do so. So that's why I love what I do is because I, there's no better people that I know than dairy farmers. Thank you. And, and just to um, hit home for our members that are listening, if you haven't already seen it in your inbox or the, the week's update, we are having a webinar with Tony Monday morning, July 20th at 11 a.m. Um, we have it loosely set from 11 to 1, but depending on how many participants and questions we have, we could definitely go a little bit longer, I think. Um, but Tony will be there to make a, a brief presentation, and then it's going to be a member-driven Q&A session because we do realize a lot of these issues and questions are specific to your dairy or your employees. So thank you so much for being willing to always, you know, be on the podcast. First of all, we've been wanting to have you on for quite a while and we, we finally had a good week to do it. And um, also for being so willing to participate in these Q and a sessions and, and just get the information that our members need right to them. You're very welcome. I'm always happy to help and always happy to help uh, the, the dairies get the information they need. Great. Thanks. Well, we'll see you Monday, Tony. And for any of the information that we highlighted in this, segment, please don't hesitate to check out the show notes 
and our website will have those links up for members and you can do that by logging into the member portal and you can also reach out to Darby, myself, or Tony's office with any other further questions. Okay, well, thanks again to Tony for hanging with us today. And we are all looking forward to seeing him Monday on the webinar Q&A. Make sure you email either Darby or I if you'd like to register for that. Up next, Rochelle joins us with an update from Lucheros Unidos. Hello, Dairy members. My name is Rochelle with Western United Dairies and Lecheros Unidos de California. We know there's lots going on in the dairy industry today, and we want to help you on your dairy to stay productive and essential. Are you looking for employees to work at your dairy? We do the advertising, small interviews, and we send them to you. So remember, if you need to hire someone and are interested in finding more information for Lecheros Unidos de California, contact the office number at 209 527-6453 or send an email at r-a-s-h-e-l-l at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com. Thank you and have a nice day. Well, we want to thank all of our guests again. And just before we go, we kind of want to touch on a few things. Number one, how to reach Tony's office if you have questions. Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about how to make sure our members can reach Tony? Absolutely. You can always reach out to your field reps if you need to connect with Tony's office and you don't have his information handy. Also, just give them a call, 559-432-3000 is their direct line and you can let the person that answers the phone know what you need and they are really great about filtering you to the right person to talk to. Um, also, you can always reach out via email. So APR at RamundoAssociates.com is Tony's email address and he's super quick to respond and really helpful. And if you're looking for any of the resources mentioned, our office has worked with Rabundo and Associates to put together a huge packet of information. This is including postings, guidance documents, et cetera. And this is all available on our website through the member portal. So to go to the westernunitedairies.com website, you can go in the upper right-hand corner and log in. It's your member number as your login and your password is your last name and that's case sensitive. So beware of that. And if you have any problems logging in, please don't hesitate to reach out. We can check and make sure your login's correct or edit your password, et cetera. Yeah, and also always reach out with questions for um, future podcast episodes or just in general. Um, and, and one of the ways or one of the great things we're doing this next coming Monday July 20th from 11 to 1 is a live quick briefing and then Q&A with Tony and he's given us two hours for members to ask specific questions and we recognize as we said in the interview a lot of the situations coming up are very specific to the facility those are that's a great way to ask those questions and if you don't feel comfortable doing it live on the webinar you can submit them anonymously to us ahead of time. Yep, and again, a huge thank you to Annie, Tony Ramundo, the Ramundo Associates staff, and Rochelle for joining us for today's episode. And thanks to all of our listeners and members. And if you're listening and you enjoy listening to us every week, or at least just hearing what information we have to say, please pass this on to some of your fellow dairy producers. We're looking to expand our reach. We're really interested in just trying to share this information with everybody who needs to hear it. 
You can reach out to us with questions, comments, and any content requests. Our email is wud.pod at gmail.com. Melissa, your email is? M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And Darby? I'm Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great weekend, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors. Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.